Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Here in the power of Christ, we stand. We gather because we believe that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a name of power. We believe that He's the one who died for our sins and conquered our sin and death by rising from the grave. We believe that He ascended on high and is sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting until His enemies are made His footstool. The name of Jesus is the name we worship. And yet in the Christian life, sometimes we can feel as if it lacks power. Maybe you are here today and you feel like in your Christian life it lacks the power you had hoped there would be. The things you want, peace and joy and hope and rest, always seem just out of reach and you find yourself in a cycle of failure, discouragement and dissatisfaction. Where's the power? Today's text is a reminder that at times, even in the Christian life, we can get distracted. We can begin to worship ourselves. We can even attempt to sort of wield the name of Jesus for our own purposes and ends. Maybe even to defend and guard our own sins. And we find that in such cases, our lives are devoid of the power of the name of Jesus. Remember the context of this text in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus and maybe unlike any city he'd been in before in his missionary journeys, he experiences a degree of success there, not as much resistance as he'd faced in other places. In fact, we read in Acts 19 verse 10 that actually for two years he's able to teach consistently for being driven out of the city by persecution, which was often the case for him. In fact, the word of the Lord, it says in verse 10, had spread through all of Asia, the region where Ephesus was. So Paul's preaching was so consistent that this gospel message in the name of Jesus Christ had spread even outside of Ephesus and beyond. That phrase, the word of the Lord, actually bookends our passage today. It's there in verse 10, and you'll notice it's there in verse 20 as well. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The message about Jesus, specifically the message that this Jesus is the Savior, that He paid for sins on the cross and rose again from the dead. So this message and all the corollary truths that flow out of that beautiful message are one of the key themes of this text. That's where the power of God is at work. But that's not the only theme of this text. You'll notice the theme of power as well. In each of the sections of this text that we'll talk about, that word power, that idea of might and strength will come up either in strong presence of power or in the absence of power. So we'll notice that as we work through the text as well. What we're going to discover together today is that we must center our ministry on the message of salvation in the name of Jesus. We must. That's where God's power is at work. 
But when we ask that question, I want to be clear. We are talking about the life of the church, the ministry of the church, and we as a congregation ought to be centered on the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus' name. But this is also true for us as individuals. It's true for me, and it's true for you. One of the good things we're going to think about today is that our very purpose, the, the reason that you and I are here on the earth as believers, the reason God has kept us here, is for one singular purpose. It's to tell the world that Jesus is the Savior. God didn't intend that it would just be pastors or apostles like Paul that do this task. No, God's intention is that every believer accomplish this mission, this purpose. And so as we think about our centering our ministry, I also mean not only in our church, but in my life and in your life, that we would be centered on the message of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the very reason we have life on this earth. Because otherwise we know our Father's perspective. If He didn't have that purpose for us here, He already would have called us home to be with Him. That's where He wants us. But He has us here to accomplish His mission. And that's where the power of God is at work. So we must not get distracted. We must focus. We must center our lives on this task and on this message, the power of Jesus' name. Let's consider four reasons today why this is so important for us as Christians and as a gospel-preaching church, a gospel-centered church, why it's so crucial that we may remain centered on this message. Number one today, it's because God empowers those who preach the gospel. God empowers those who preach the gospel. We notice this clearly in verses 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 19 where Luke tells us there in verse 11 that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. There's a few things you need to notice from those opening phrases. First of all, notice Luke's emphasis. God worked. God's the one doing the work here through the hands of Paul. So there's nothing really special about Paul in this. It's God's work through Paul. God is doing it. Next, Luke points out that these are unusual miracles. These are not kinds of things we should expect on a regular basis. They're abnormal. There's something specific God is seeking to do in this time, in that place, through a man named Paul. They're unique to him. So what were these unusual miracles? Verse 12, even handkerchiefs or aprons brought from his body, Paul's body, to the sick... And the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. I try to carry around a handkerchief when I can. It's kind of fun. Old school, right? And, uh, uh, you know, just in case my wife ever cries or something like that, you know. uh, But can you imagine, right? A handkerchief, something like this. In fact, it it probably wasn't quite like our handkerchiefs today. The handkerchief referred to in this text was probably more of a sweat rag that the Apostle Paul would have kept with him. And as he was working and dripping, used it to wipe away the sweat on his face. And 
that was brought to the sick, and God used that to heal. What, what is God doing through a strange miracle like that? These aprons as well, it's probably similar, a towel maybe worn around the waist, used to wipe hands while working. God doing something incredibly powerful through the Apostle Paul. Why? Why would God do a miracle like this? Unique miracles like this show up a number of places in Scripture. Actually, we saw them in Jesus' life. You might remember uh, the woman who had an illness for many years, and she came up behind Jesus and just touched his garments, right? And she was healed. Or we might think of Peter. Here in the book of Acts, when those who had Peter's shadow fall on them and they were healed, Acts chapter 5. So there have been unique demonstrations of God's power. We're not to expect these specific kinds of things to continue today. What was God's purpose? Well, we find out in the New Testament that God's purpose with these powerful miracles was actually to point to the powerful message. You see, this gospel message was new. And especially for the Jews, it was difficult for them to receive new information like this, that Jesus was the Savior and that salvation was in His name alone. And so a gracious Heavenly Father accompanied that powerful message with powerful works. We're told in Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says this in verses 3 and 4, How shall we escape... If we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, that is, the apostles, God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So during the time of the apostles, God accompanied this new message, Salvation in the name of Jesus Christ with unique miracles to point to the truth and power of the message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul referred to his own miracles this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He said, truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you by me with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul's pointing back and saying, look, it's affirmed that I was an apostle carrying the message of the gospel because God did signs and wonders through me. So these unique signs confirmed the message of the gospel and pointed to the power of salvation in Jesus' name. That's where the power is. I remember on one occasion uh, traveling, going to the airport, and uh, you know they encourage you to use those kiosks. Have you ever used the kiosks at the airport where you can check in for your flight and uh, you know, pay for your bags, even if you need to get your luggage tags and get your tickets and so on and so forth? And so I remember one occasion, if I remember correctly, it was at O'Hare Airport, and uh, known for its long lines, right? And so I remember entering uh, the ticketing area, and just people everywhere, crowded, you know. And I spotted one kiosk, had nobody at it. Yes! And so I bypassed all sorts of people and made my way to this kiosk, feeling fairly proud of myself that I had saved some time and would be able to check in quickly for my flight. And so I began to try to get some things done on the kiosk there, check in for my flight. And the first few buttons I clicked, it, it gave me the spinny circle, you know the spinny circle, right? 
And, uh, and so it just sat there with the spinning circle for a while, and I'm kind of looking around and still trying to feel good about myself and how much time I've saved by finding this kiosk, even if it has a spinning circle. Well, the circle kept spinning, and I'm standing there, and you know, people are beginning to march past me now, and I'm waiting longer than others. And finally, someone who'd been there for some time uh, leaned over and said something along the lines of, oh, I've seen a few people try that one. I don't think it works. Ah, <laughs> it's broken, right? It's broken. And so there I went to the back of the line. What was wrong? It had no power to help me. Now, it had power to the machine, but something inside of it was not working right. It was powerless to accomplish what I wanted it to accomplish. And so often in the Christian life, we try to kind of direct God's power to do what we want, but God's empowered the gospel to accomplish His purposes, the message of salvation in Jesus' name. This is His mission. This is His purpose. That's where the power is. So are we going to see these kinds of signs today? Well, friends, if anything in this church ever happens with my handkerchief or in the name of Lance Augsburger, get out of here, right? This is a church that exalts the name of Jesus Christ. His is the glory and the honor and the praise. So we're not looking for these kinds of gospel accompanying signs today. We have the good message affirmed and confirmed to us. The time of the apostles is gone. Now is the time of the church, the people of God, gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, displaying and proclaiming the truth of salvation in Jesus' name. The power is in the gospel Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Or in Acts 1.8, Jesus himself told his followers that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, so that they would be witnesses of his in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the power is in God's mission that the gospel would go forward for His glory. This helps us so much to understand how to pray and how to interpret God's answers to prayer. Sometimes in the Christian life we get confused. We ask God to take away this health problem and yet it doesn't go away. Or to to make me wealthy, right? And, And it doesn't happen. Or to take away persecution in my life even. And yet it remains. Why? Because God's purpose, God's goal is not to make me comfortable. That's not what He's done in salvation. The comfort is coming. It's in eternity. And He saved me from my sin and death. And He promises me eternal life with Him. But this life is for His glory and the proclamation of the gospel. So, rather than taking away my health problem, I can be confident that He will give me the power to endure it and to display and share the gospel in the process. He may not make me wealthy in this life, but He will give me the power to display gospel sacrifice and generosity to others. He may not take away my persecution, but He will empower me to endure it and to hold forth the gospel 
to those who persecute me. That's what God is doing in this life. God empowers those who preach the gospel, and so we must center our lives on that message of salvation in Jesus' name. But number two today, ministry centered on anything else has no power. The reason we must center our ministry on the message of salvation in Jesus' name is that if we center it on anything else, there is no power. Here we encounter these seven sons of Siva. There's a lot of S's there. Seven sons of Siva. And I think it's even possible this was kind of their advertised name. These were itinerant Jewish exorcists, we're told in verse 13. Which means that they traveled around advertising and selling their skill of casting out evil spirits. Now, who knows whether they ever had any success with this? We don't know. I doubt it. But they were advertising, oh, yes, we're related to the high priest back in Jerusalem, and we will cast out evil spirits for you. And so they're making profit off of their task of doing this. The key phrase in verse 13 is the, the second phrase. These itinerant Jews, exorcists, took it upon themselves. They took it upon themselves. They decided, okay, uh, we've heard that uh, this Apostle Paul, uh, who preaches Jesus, has had some success casting out evil spirits, and so uh, let's use his name, right? That will bring us more success. So they have no desire to serve the Lord in this or to do what's right. This is just all for them. They take it upon themselves. And so that's what they try. We're told in verse 13, they make this statement to some of these evil spirits. Notice how it's worded. We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Uh, we don't really know him, but it's the guy that, uh, that Paul's always talking about. And so we exercise you. We. They're trying to do this in their own strength, in their own power, to their own ends. So verse 14, uh, Luke names them, and again, these seven sons of Siva uh, may have been their advertised name, and so he points it out secondarily here, and the reader's like, oh yeah, I heard about those guys. Well, what happens? The evil spirit responds to them and says, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And it's interesting, the the word no, K-N-O-W, is actually different in the original language. The first no is a deep knowledge and understanding. Jesus we know. Paul, we're acquainted with him, but who are you? This is a question of authority. Really, they're saying to these seven sons, by whose authority are you telling us to leave? We don't answer to you. Jesus we know, but who are you? And so, verse 16, This evil spirit gives the possessed man this power and leaps on these seven false teachers. And there's our key word in verse 16, overpowered them. No power. And another key word, he prevailed against them. So they end up fleeing the house naked and wounded, ashamed and embarrassed, trying to wield the name of Jesus for their own purposes and accomplishing nothing. No power. Ministry centered on anything else. This is just complete selfishness here on their part. They're not about the gospel. They're not about exalting the name of Jesus. They're about using it to their own ends. And there's no 
power. Ministry centered on anything else has no power. I enjoy from time to time trying to repair things, fix things around the house that are broken. And the key word there is trying, right? Uh, it's kind of fun to tinker with things, take it apart, see what's wrong, try to put it back together and see if it works again. But I happen to be a lazy tinkerer, and what that means is that uh, I don't always take the time to find or purchase the right tool for the job. So for me, it's kind of like, well, you know, whatever's lying around, eh, yeah, that might work. That might get the job done. That might do what I need it to do. Eh, let's give it a try before I take the time to run to the store and buy a new tool or, or run all the way to the basement where that tool is stored uh, when I could take care of it right here. And so one thing I'm learning little by little is that using the wrong tool for the wrong purpose is usually an experiment in, well, destruction. Something usually gets broken or messed up in the process. So I've attempted to use house keys to unscrew flathead screws and ended up with bent house screws, right? Isn't that a blessing? I've attempted to use Phillips screwdrivers as nail punches, right? Hammer that nail all the way in and just end up with a broken screwdriver handle. So, I've attempted to use needle-nose pliers to tighten bolts and end up stripping bolt heads or breaking pliers or pinching my fingers. That hurts. I've attempted to use a tile floor as a hammer rather than hammering the nail into the wood, actually slamming the wood on the tile floor. Ended up with chipped tile. You see, using the wrong tool for the wrong purpose is quite powerless and ends up in destruction and disaster. So if we are to try to wield the name of Christ and even the gospel at times to our own ends, We find it's powerless. It's not God's intended purpose for it. Ministry can so easily drift and become centered on other things. In the church, it can become about the way we do things. If we had more events, or if we just did this, or see that other church is growing, if we just copied what they do, then we would be successful and Pretty soon we begin to base our success on whether we're cool and trendy or whether our numbers are growing. Ah, we must be doing something right. But see, this is all centered on us, our fame, our name, our brand. No, no, it's just the name of Jesus. That's why we gather. That's our purpose, to lift high the name of Christ and what He's done in our lives. This can happen in our personal lives as well. We begin to serve God in terms of what we think we'll get from Him. That being a Christian and doing Christian things will maybe garner more respect in my life. That by living the way God has taught in His Word will just go better for me. I'll, be more, I'll have a more comfortable life and I'll have more success because, yeah, I think God's word is helpful and so 
I'll study it so it helps me have a better life. This can happen even with the gospel. We we look at what Christ has done in the gospel and then we think to ourselves, ah, because Jesus paid for my sins, now I'm free to live how I please. But is that why He died for me? The Apostle Paul confronted that thinking in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5 and 6. Sometimes we look at the gospel and we think, ah, the gospel proves that, that God loves me and he, he wants what's good for me and He wants to, to bless me in my life and so I'm just going to keep pursuing that blessing. So often in the Christian life, we, we try to finagle things to get God to serve us. There's so many Christians living with an underlying frustration with God because He's not given them what they wanted. As if God were supposed to cater to us. This is not the message of the gospel. God saved us to something. He saved us to be a holy people set apart for His glory. A people that proclaim His love and His kindness and His goodness displayed and the one who died for us and rose again. So if you feel as if there's no power in your Christian life, you might consider, what's your focus? Have you aligned your life with God's purpose for you to tell the world that Jesus is the Savior? Or are you trying to wield God's power for your own ends? If you find that deep down you just wish that God would get on board with your purposes and your desires... And I plead with you to turn away from your selfishness today. Like the Jews trying to wield the name of Jesus and attempting to use God for their own purposes, we find that there's no power in that. And it leads to disastrous consequences. Bow the knee to the Savior. Submit to Him as Lord Crucify your passions and desires and give yourself completely to His purposes for you. Ministry centered on anything else has no power. Number three this morning, the exaltation of Jesus' name leads to powerful repentance. This is another reason that ministry must remain centered on the message of salvation in the name of Jesus. Because as His name is exalted, it leads to powerful repentance. In the text, this in verse 17, this follows the fearful example of these seven sons of Siva who tried to wield Jesus' name to their own ends and are defeated and flee, wounded and naked. And so it says in verse 17 that this becomes known all through Ephesus and fear falls upon them. They realize these are serious things that we're dealing with here. The name of Jesus is not to be trifled with. And as a result, the end of verse 17, Luke tells us that the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, lifted high, exalted there in the city of Ephesus. That His is the name with power. And so, as Jesus' name is lifted high, notice how the people respond in verses 18 and 19. 
Many who had believed, meaning these are already believers in Christ. They've already trusted the gospel, but as Jesus' name is exalted, something incredible happens here. They come confessing and telling their deeds. Even though they trusted in Christ as Savior, they had continued to live in sin in some areas. And this is an encouraging reminder to us that to come to Christ for salvation doesn't mean we have to have everything in our lives cleaned up before we come. And He can save us while we are still sinners. And yet, after we trust in Christ, we should see This kind of confessing and putting off our sins and stepping away from our old life and drawing near to Christ. And so they come confessing, telling their evil deeds. Verse 19, those who had practiced magic brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. This is is public and it's sacrificial. And there, there's no personal preservation here. There's no embarrassment. They're just saying out loud, we believe the name of Jesus. There's no place for these things in our lives anymore. This is a great cost. Luke actually points out the value. It's a little hard to translate into present day terms. But he says they're actually 50,000 pieces of silver worth of books that are burned here. It's a lot of money it's just kind of like, well, as the name of Jesus is lifted high, it's uh, who cares what people think of me? I want to get my sin out in the open. Let's burn the books, everything for Jesus. You see, the exaltation of the name of Christ leads to powerful repentance. They're ready to do whatever it takes to keep exalting His name. Get this sin out of my life. I don't want it anymore. I want to live for Jesus. I want to accomplish His purposes. I want to do what He wants. I want to serve Him. Notice the crazy contrast between these believers that as Jesus' name is exalted, they repent this way. How different it is from the sons of Siva who are just trying to use the name of Jesus to get more for themselves. Just opposite responses here to the name of Christ. Friends, as the respect as the exaltation of Jesus continues to happen in our lives. More and more, we ought to be seeing this kind of powerful, radical repentance in response. That as we we gather with one another, who really cares what people think of me? I just want the sin to be gone. And so let me tell you what happened this week. I don't want it anymore. I want to be done. I, I burned the books. And I want to walk with Jesus. Would you hold me accountable to that? Who cares what people think of us? This is how we exalt the name of Christ. The exaltation of Jesus' name leads to powerful repentance. Why? Because His is the name above every name. The Apostle Paul would later write to the church in Philippi that Jesus being in the form of God, did not consider it his equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation. And taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, that's the message 
of salvation in Jesus' name. That God the Son became a man so he could die for your sins and for mine. He paid for them on the cross and he paid for them in full, bearing every drop of God's wrath in my stead. He then displayed his victory over sin and death by rising from the grave publicly declaring his identity as Lord and ruler and Savior. Then he ascended on high to the Father's right hand and left his followers to preach this message of salvation. And you can receive that forgiveness and righteousness by trusting in Jesus' name today. It's because Jesus did that. He was made lower than any of us. For that reason, Paul says in Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must center our lives on the message of salvation in Jesus' name because the gospel exalts the name of Jesus. And as the name of Jesus is exalted, this leads to powerful repentance among God's people. As the gospel is highlighted, God's kindness in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, just exalts the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the one who knew all of your sin, past, present, and future, and still gave his life for you. The name of the Lord Jesus, whose wounds and stripes are the the physical representation of the cost of your sin, what you and I should have experienced on that day. The name of Jesus, who rose from the grave, did what none of us could ever do, conquered our sin and death. And as we exalt that name, it draws us to repentance. Paul says in Romans 2, 4, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? To my non-Christian friends here today, would you trust in Jesus today? Would you stop living for yourself and trust in the one who died for you to save you from your sin? Come to the one who offers you salvation. Let his goodness draw you to faith in him. To my Christian friends, let the exaltation of the name of Jesus lead you to a right fear of him, awe and respect for the name of Christ, to bow the knee again before him today resulting in powerful repentance. Sadly, we often like weak repentance. We want to tell as few as possible, change as little as necessary. I'll just keep this between the Lord and me. He knows my heart. He knows what I'm trying to do. I'll just... I'll keep using social media, but I'll just try to avoid those tempting pictures more in the future. I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know it's not good for me. It doesn't please the Lord. I just need to try harder myself. I don't need to tell anybody at this point. There's no need to do anything drastic. Certainly don't need to tell everyone. I'm working on it. 
But when we give ourselves these kinds of excuses, what are we saying about the name of Jesus Christ? The one who who showed us that sin is not to be wishy-washy about. Was the death of Christ on the cross wishy-washy? Did God make it unclear what our sin looks like? No. It's pretty clear. So we exalt the name of Christ by hating our sin, by loving the Savior who paid for it, by making radical changes to get rid of sin in our lives, powerful repentance. In fact, Jesus himself taught this. He said in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it or cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing. You sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Burn the books. Burn the books. See, as we exalt the name of Christ... Nothing else matters. Who cares what people think of me? Who cares what it's going to cost? Oh, Lord, I just want to please you with my life because you gave yourself for me. Luke closes the passage with just one summary verse here. So the word of the Lord grew and prevailed. Excuse me, grew mightily and prevailed. And this... Summary becomes kind of our last point here. The message of salvation in Jesus' name prevails with power. Why? Why must we keep centering our lives on this message? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation in His name because that's what prevails with power. The original phrasing here is interesting. It's actually worded this way. So with power... The word of the Lord grew and prevailed. So with power, the word of the Lord grew and prevailed. The word prevailed is the very same word used back in verse 16 when the evil spirit prevailed over the sons of Siva. And Luke, in his summary here, is looking back on what's happened and he's saying, no, no, no. There's a power that prevails over everything. It's the message of salvation in Jesus' name. With power, that message prevails over every force in this world. That's where the power resides. The gospel message prevailed. And so we must center our ministry on the gospel because it's that message that prevails over all things with power. We sung it together earlier today, a mighty fortress, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. 
For lo, his doom is sure. Why? One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. Whose word is it? It's the word of God, the word of Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His is the name that prevails. And so we trust in him, we exalt his name, and we live for his purposes. It begins with the gospel. I wonder, have you trusted in the gospel today, the message of the one who died for you and rose again to pay for your sins, that you might be forgiven and receive a right relationship with God? Would you believe today? We've also seen that the gospel is power. And so maybe it's that you need to refocus on the source, the centerpiece of God's power today, that our task, all of us, is to proclaim that gospel message, to live by it ourselves in such a way that we display it and to preach it to others. Is it time to recenter your life on the gospel? Because the gospel exalts the name of Jesus. Maybe it's that you need today to bow your knee to the name of Jesus once again. That in all your workings, you've kind of drifted into a Sons of Siva kind of mentality where it's just kind of like, yes, power in His name so we can get what I want here. But no, it's all about the exaltation of His name. Bow the knee once again. This exaltation of Jesus' name calls us then to repentance is now the day the Lord Jesus, because of the magnification of His name and the gospel by which He paid for your sins, is today the day He wants you to come clean, to burn the books, to exalt His name. Who cares what people think? The gospel fuels our service to Christ to renew our commitment to God's purposes for us. Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you that when we did not deserve it, while we were your enemies, you showed us your love by sending your Son, who took our sins upon himself, paid for them at the cross, so that we then would live for him. And so we do ask for your help. We want to be a church that is centered on the gospel, that it resonates among us in our hearts in such a way that as we, as we gather, as we sing at the top of our lungs to magnify the name of Jesus, those who gather with us would see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ just exalted and lifted high. The power of the name of Jesus would be prevalent in this church. That from our gatherings, the power of His name would, would resonate so that all in our regions would hear the word of the Lord that in the name of Jesus alone there is salvation. Exalt the Lord Jesus Christ among us. We confess. We so often fail and fall short, and even there we thank you for your mercy and your love. Our failures lead us to the gospel again and to to love you more for your kindness and forgiveness. We praise you. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.